Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. You know, folks, we've been going through First Peter, and we've been talking about passing through, recognizing that you and I as believers in Jesus Christ, you're only in this world temporarily. You should have a different focus. Your focus shouldn't be, what do I accomplish in this life, and what do I get for myself in this life? And while that is a minor focus for us as we live here, the greater focus is, is that I'm only here temporarily. I'm, I'm just here for the moment. There's actually somewhere else that I belong that I need to be. And that's to be with Jesus for the rest of your life, for the rest of eternity. And when you think about the rest of eternity, our time here is just momentary. It's almost like a nanosecond in light of no time. And so the question then is, how do I live while I'm here? How do I live in this world while I'm here? And, and folks, let's just be honest. It's an interesting world. The world's changing. I, you know, I'm, I'm 52. I'm going to be 53 here in another month. And, and to be honest with you, things have changed. I can remember back 30 some years ago, things weren't the way they are right now. You know, in fact, there was even, you know, for Christians in the community, there was a level of acceptance. But yet, on the, that was on the surface, but beneath the surface with people, there was still, I'll be honest with you, a, a level of resentment towards believers. It wasn't out in the open. Now we live in an age where it's coming out in the open. It's not like all of a sudden something's changed. It just was covered up because it was culturally acceptable to be a Christian 30 years ago. Now nobody cares. Yet the Bible tells us what to do. The Bible expresses how to live your life right now. And I'm going to be honest with you, what we're going to read here doesn't say anything about protesting. It talks about how you're to live your life right now with a focus that the end is coming. And the end is coming. Now the end might be the end of the year, or it might be 200 years from now, but the end is coming. Jesus is coming. And if Jesus doesn't come in your lifetime, you're going to go be with him. So you need to be ready. And he's going to tell you how to be ready here. It's interesting, as I was thinking about this message, I remember there's a saying that you'll see oftentimes when you read things about desperate times call for desperate measures. A reverse of that is often expressed, extraordinary times call for extraordinary measures. I would say, folks, desperate times call for extraordinary measures from the Bible. And that's what we're talking about here, is that God's calling us to do the extraordinary. And we're going to talk about what that is today. So let's look at the scripture together. If you have your Bibles, we're going to look at verses 7 through 11. But let's look together. We're going to see what Peter is telling us here. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. 
As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as the ability which God supplies. For in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. All right, now here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to see that God's calling us to do the extraordinary here. And so we're going to figure out exactly what that is. So we're going to see, first of all, in verse 7, the very first part of verse 7, he's going to give us a reminder, because I'm going to be honest with you, folks, we need to be reminded of this. You need to be reminded, you need to be mindful every day about the time that you live in, because you and I can get distracted. And then what we're going to see is the call. We're going to see in the last part of verse 7 through verse 11 that he calls us to do specific things in this time that, to be honest with you, are extraordinary. So let's look at, first of all, the reminder. We see it there in verse 7. He says this, But the end of all things is at hand. The end of all things. Now, what's he mean by the end of all things? Well, folks, the end of the world as you know it. And that's just not some crazy statement that you hear people make. The end is coming, the end is coming. No, no, the end of the world is coming. When Jesus comes, Christ will come back and establish his kingdom, and then ultimately this world will cease after a thousand-year reign. The end is coming, and so you need to recognize that, and you need to be reminded of that no matter what's happening on your news right now. So here's the two things I want you to see as we are reminded here, okay? Number one, Everything is heading to a conclusion. Everything is heading to a conclusion. And you don't know what the course of action is to be. Can I say that? Everything is heading to a conclusion. And you don't know how it's going to happen. You have some things that kind of give you glimpses in the scripture, but you don't know exactly how it's going to happen. You don't know exactly who the players are. You don't know what needs to happen here and here and here. God does, because he's the one who's keeping the ultimate plan. You just need to know that all of life, everything is moving to one climax, to one conclusion, and that is one day the eastern sky is going to break open and Jesus is coming back to establish his kingdom, period. You need to recognize that. You need to live with that, that hope that I'm going to be with him. See, salvation isn't just being freed from your sin and not going to hell. It's being with the one who's going to be the victor. Do you understand what I'm saying? The one who's going to set everything right. So everything is heading to a conclusion. That's the point Peter's making here. That everything is heading to a conclusion. In fact, here's the second thing. The end of all things is approaching for this world. The end of all things. You know... I'm from the Carolinas, and the area that I grew up in, I used to think was beautiful until I moved up here. And then a few years ago, I visited my mom, and the thought occurred to me, I grew up in an ugly place. Because all there is in South Carolina where I grew up was is scrub oaks, pines, and sand. And it's ugly. Then you come up here, and you've got the hardwoods and the hills, and it's beautiful. Well, you say, well, that's just your perspective. Yes, that's my perspective. But the bottom line is, 
one day it's all going to be gone. It's all going to be gone. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth for the old has passed away. Things as you know it now are, are going to disappear. You know what? I could live in a shack, but I, I live with a woman who doesn't want to live in a shack. And so she has ideas about changing things in the house all the time. And that's okay, and I'm, I'm willing to do that paint project after complaining a little bit. I'm willing to do that. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking to myself, it's all going to burn up one day. It's all going to burn up. Do, do you know what I'm saying? It's all going to be gone. You know what I mean? This is the reminder. Hold on loosely. This is what he's trying to tell you. Hold on loosely. The end of things is approaching for the world. We don't know exactly when, but it's going to go quicker than you realize. It is. The end of all things is approaching for this world. So, so then, I guess, George, what do we do then? How do we live right now? Because you're going to hear so many conflicting voices. Protest this, write this, do that, be angry. But God doesn't tell you to do any of that. First of all, God never promised that everything would be okay here for a believer. In fact, he's told you many times that if you know him, you will what? Suffer. People aren't going to like you because they don't like him. So what do you do in the meantime? Well, he's going to tell us five things. Five things that you and I need to do. Okay, let's look at them together. First one we see in verse 7. He says this. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Be serious and watchful in your prayers. Here's the first thing. This requires that you get serious and attentive in your prayers. This requires that you get serious and attentive in your prayers. Okay. Would everybody agree with me that on a given day, you get bombarded with tragic news almost every day in some form, either in something that's happening on the world scene, something that's happening in the community, something that's happening with your friends, something that's happening in your extended family, something that's happening in your life. You get bombarded daily with stuff that's reminding you the end is coming. The end is coming. Am I correct in saying that? I think we all are, right? That should motivate you to do the one thing that you have the most awesome privilege to do, and that's to go to God and talk with him about it. Go to him and express to him, God, this is going on in my friend's life, and I don't know what to do to help them, but they need you. They need you to work in their life. Can you help them? Can you give them wisdom? Can you give them grace? Can you tell me how to reach out to them and be a friend to them? Lord, this is happening in my life. This is what the doctor told me. I don't know what to do. I'm scared. This is, this is reality. You need to get serious about your prayer life. And how do we know that you're serious about your prayer life? Well, you do more than just pray for your meal. If that's all you do is just pray for your meal, then that's not serious. In fact, you do more than just pray for a parking lot spot at Walmart. You can, but that's not taking your prayer life serious because you're talking about going to God and asking him to intervene in all of these situations. And see, if you're recognizing that the end of the world, the end of all things is at hand, 
you're going to pay attention to what he says to you, and that means you're going to get serious about praying. So let's, let's do an exercise. I don't want you to respond visibly. I want you to think about your response in your mind. Think about the circle of the world that you live in. The, the circle of the world that you, your family, your friends, the world that you live in and what's going on around you. And, and I can almost guarantee you that somewhere, somebody is in a desperate situation. My question to you is, and it's a question to me, have you at least talked to God about it? And the answer, more than likely for myself and a lot of us is, no. No. Because I haven't taken prayer serious. I haven't been attentive. See, this is, this is what he's talking about. We live in desperate times, so that calls for extraordinary measures on our part. And the first thing is what? Praying. Praying. Notice the second thing. We see it in verse 8. He says, and above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Now, this is love. Everybody knows that, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you. But this is a different kind of love. He doesn't just say love each other. He's telling you the kind of love to have. And the kind of love he's telling you to have is a love that will cover a multitude of sins. Now, what kind of love is that? Well, here's my statement to you. You have to love others with a forgiving love. You have to love others with a forgiving love. You know what? I, I've been a believer now. It'll be 34 years. So I've, I've sat in a pew like you have, and I've been a pastor for over 20. And, and I have been an observer of people in the churches that I've attended through the years and the churches that I have pastored this church for almost 18 years now. And, and I'm going to be honest with you. Have you noticed that people are fickle? Have you noticed that? I mean, they are. I'm fickle. You're fickle. We're all fickle. And have you noticed that we can be, oh, I love you, kissy, kissy, one week, and the next week be irritated because that person did something to you, and all of a sudden we're like ready to hang them. Arr. Oh, we're in church. I love you. Get in the car. You can't believe what they did. He's talking about love that's not fake. The desperate times require extraordinary efforts and actions on our part. It's not just praying, but you need to love each other. But because we're talking about human beings, the love that you need to express to each other has to be, are you ready for this, a forgiving love. Because the chances are that we're going to irritate each other at some point. And we're going to be offensive to each other. Isn't that true? Hey, folks, if you're going to be the people of God con connecting in a church where we need each other in these desperate times, you have to learn to love each other with what? A forgiving love. Because love covers what? Multitude of sins, right? You have to. Because if you don't, that blows a church apart, right? How many of you have seen churches blow apart? We've seen churches blow apart. And what happens when churches blow apart? There's not that kind of love, right? There's not that kind of love. 
So he's, he's calling us to be serious about prayer. He's calling us to love each other with a forgiving love. Here's the third thing he says. Look with me at verse 9. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Now, we, let, me, let me explain what that is before I give you my point. You know, for us, we understand hospitality because we talk about our wives being hospitable. We think in terms of hospitality and, and having you come over to the house for some food. And, and that's wonderful, okay? Coming over and enjoying the stuff that you whipped up at that time. Actually, it's a whole lot more than that. In their culture, hospitality was more than just feeding them. It was being available. And I think, in a sense, that we need to grasp the biblical concept of hospitality. So here's what it is. Here's my statement. Here's what he's calling us to do. You must enter into the lives of others without complaining. You must enter into the lives of others without complaining. See, that's what, you know, we live in desperate times and people are going through things and, and you need to be hospitable to people. But hospitable isn't just, hey, here's some cookies I made for you. It's, it's that you are available to them in the midst of what they're going through and you're going to do it without what? Complaining, because isn't that natural? We are so busy with our schedules. We're so busy and somebody calls and says, hey, hey, um, you know, I'm going through something right now. Can, can, can you, you got a few moments? And you're like, yeah, I got a few moments. Oh, I can't believe they're coming over. I don't have time for this. Why are you doing this to me, Lord? Isn't that what we do? That's not hospitable. That's being, not being hospitable, folks. That's grumbling. And then when they come, oh, this is what I'm going through. And you're like, oh, yes, yes. Can you get out of here? Yes. No, it's entering into people's lives and being available to them and carrying their pain with them. Carrying it with them. Because what's the number one thing when we go through things together, uh, when we go through stuff, is that we feel that we're what? Alone. We're alone. We need somebody to come alongside of us. Notice with me the fourth thing now. This is just as important. We see it in verse 10. He says this, and as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. What's he talking about here is each one has received a gift. Is that saying that if I get some extra money, I should be sharing that with others? No, that's not what he's talking about here. Verse 11 actually will express it a little bit further. He's talking about the gifts that you were given when the Holy Spirit entered into your life. He's talking about spiritual gifts. See, you were given a gift by the Holy Spirit, something that you were to do within the body, that is the church, to benefit the body. Not your benefit, but for the benefit of others. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 12-14 through 14 would talk about, the purpose of the gifts. Given according to His grace, so that you could minister to others. 
And so for others, you, you, the gift may be encouragement, or the gift may be service, or the gift may be giving, and the gift may be this or that. It, it's a spirit-empowered gift. It's not an ability. It's a gift that he has given you to be able to use for the church. I would say one of my gifts that God has given me is the ability to teach. To teach his people the word of God. But here's what needs to happen. Here's the call. Is that in these desperate times that we live in, exercise your spirit-empowered gifts for each other. Live for others. You know, when I hear people come, you know, I'll see somebody, and, you know, this has happened through the years. You'll see some. oh, I'm sorry. Sorry you're not with us anymore. I wasn't getting anything out of the church. Nobody was meeting my needs. I'm going to tell you right now what that is, folks. That's just called one thing, selfishness. Because that's not what church is about. Church isn't about you coming in here and getting something. Church is about you coming in here and giving something. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's about you being there for others. Because when you have this many people coming in together, I can almost guarantee you on any given Sunday or any given gathering, there are people who need you to exercise your gift in their life. Because that's what a church does. And so he's saying to you, you know, you don't just get serious about prayer. You don't just love each other with a forgiving love. You don't just be there and enter into people's lives in a hospitable way. But you also exercise your gift for others. And tied with that, we see the fifth thing. We see it in verse 11. It says, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. So he's listing two gifts right there. Two gifts. One is speaking, one is ministering, that is serving. Now notice what he says. That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Here it is. This is why you need to, I need to exercise our spiritual gifts. This is why we're called to do it in these perilous times. Your spiritual gifts will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. They'll bring glory to God by exercising your gifts, by being there for each other. You say, I, I, you know, that's great, George. I, I want to do that, but I don't know what my gifts are. Won't you ask others around you? You might be shocked. What about taking one of those spiritual inventories? Um, you don't need to do that. I've taken many, depending on what time of the day and what time of the year, it'll tell me different things that don't make sense. Sometimes it's better just to see what people around you are saying, and they'll say to you, yeah, I can see where God's gifted you in that area. I'm going to be honest with you folks. I meet with people in, in our church, and I can see their gift coming right out of them just by interacting with them. Some of them... God has given them the gift of giving. Some of them, God has given them the gift of compassion. Some of them, God has given the gift of praying extraordinary prayer. Not just prayer as we are called to, but even extraordinary intercessory prayer for others. 
Some have given, some of God has given you a gift of administration. They know how to handle situations. But the fact is, is when all of that takes place in a body of believers and it's being used for the betterment of everyone else, guess who's glorified? God. Jesus. That's what glorifies him. Not what your stand is on an issue. Not how upset you are about what's going on over here. But about you ministering to each other in these desperate times. Because you recognize what? That the end of all things is coming. So let me give you two thoughts. Two things to wrestle with. Two things to ponder. Two things to really stir your heart with regards to this issue. Number one, recognize that there is a sense of urgency to our lives. Recognize that. Recognize that there's a sense of urgency to our lives. I mean, it's easy. It's easy to just get in the flow and think long-term. Well, you know, I'm going to be around for at least to be 120 No, you're not. Do you notice how many people actually live to be 120? There's very few. Handful in the world. The reality is, you don't know how long you have. I was, you know, I was reminded of that this week. I was having lunch with one of my friends this week. We were talking about me and some health issues, issues and, and uh, we were talking about heart attacks and stuff. And I was thinking, I mentioned to them about my younger brother who's been dead now over 10 years, 38 years old, had a heart attack. Widowmaker heart attack, complete blockage of an artery to his heart. He was 38. Did he think he had longer than that? Yeah. But nobody told him that one day you're going to wake up and you're going to have a heart attack that day and you're going to die instantly. Nobody can do anything. Nobody knows that. We live in desperate times, folks. You've got to understand the urgency of your life right now, that you need to live for him right now because you don't know how long you have here. And, and forget about living how long. You don't know when he's coming back. He said he would come back like a thief in the night. Nobody who's robbing a house announces beforehand, hey, by the way, on Tuesday I'm coming to take your stuff. You'd be waiting. There's a sense of urgency to all that we should be doing. So here's the second thing. Live according to the purpose for which the Spirit has empowered you. Live according to the purpose for which the Spirit has empowered you. Listen, folks, you need to recognize this. You have been spiritually empowered. What does that mean? He gave you a gift. Even though you don't know what it is, he gave you a gift or gifts to be used for the church. Your life in this world isn't just for you to achieve whatever your goals are. Your life in this world is to do what God has called you to do where you are, in your families, in your areas, in your work. Live according to that. Exercise the gift because you need to. Because everything, remember what I said earlier in the message, folks, everything is moving to what? To that ultimate point when who will come back, folks.
Jesus Christ. Live according to the purpose that he has for your life. That's what these times call for. They call for you to be the person God wanted you to be here, in spite of what happens out there. Folks, in spite of it, it's going to happen. Why? Because it's all moving to a conclusion, right? It has to get darker. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.